You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. So uh, I, have, I have been here several times when Jonathan was preaching, and he managed to squeeze three sermons into one message. And although I'm not as ambitious as Jonathan, I thought I would go for two. Is that okay? We'll try, we'll try and see what happens. Um, as Doug said, our text today is Ephesians 5, verses 21 through 33, and we'll just start by reading the whole passage together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Amen. Obviously, this passage talks a lot about marriage, but if you're here today and you're single, don't start playing Candy Crush yet. Give me, give me a little bit of time. I promise there will be something here for you too, even if you're not married. By the way, I tell this to the Yammers and I'll tell all of you this as well. In today's culture, there's an assumption that everyone will get married. But this is not necessarily a biblical idea. In fact, both Jesus and Paul were single. And they both said, it is better not to marry. Thank you married couples for not saying amen right at that moment. <laughs> So why would Paul and Jesus say that? It's better not to marry. So I, I'm going to draw some today. It helps me. Um, I, I like the visualization, and if it helps you, that's great too. So we'll do a cross for, to represent God, and I'm not a good drawer. This is a person, not a balloon. Here, I'll give him arms. So when you're in a relationship with God, you can focus completely on what God is calling you to do. And so you're only worried about this, right? When you get married, another person enters the picture, right? And now your attention is divided. You can't just do what God wants you to do. You also have to think about what does this person need from me, right? So now your attention's split. And then sometimes these little urchins come along, right? <laughs> and our attention gets divided even more because now we have to be responsible for them and make sure they're taken care of and raised and everything. And so our attention gets divided. And so Paul and Jesus say it is actually a kingdom advantage to being single because you can focus completely on God. The, the, the idea that somewhere out there is a soulmate and that this person will complete you is false. This is not a biblical idea. People are not supposed to complete us. Jesus is, right? And so if you're trying to fill that God-sized hole in your life with a human being, you will always be disappointed because Jesus is the one that wants to fill that God-sized hole in our life. Okay, 
Back to Ephesians 5. We're going to reread verses 21 through 24 and, and go from there. We'll kind of break this into sections. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. How did I get stuck preaching this passage? <laughs> wives, don't kill me yet, okay? L let me talk first. <laughs> husbands are next, I promise. <laughs> Whenever we have a difficult passage, it's helpful to ask, what is the historical context of going on, what's going on in the time that this was written? And this was written in the first century. And in the first century, women had no standing in society. In fact, they were considered property. So men had all the authority and all the power. So when Paul says wives should submit to their husbands, he's not saying anything that would have been surprising to them. He's not saying anything new. They already, wives already did submit to their husbands because they had to, they had no choice. So what, what is Paul talking about here? Paul does two things in these verses that are revolutionary. Um, the first one we read right at the beginning, and it's in verse 21. And it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So if we take that one another part, who does that include? It's everybody, right? Everyone is to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So to start off by saying that everyone was to submit, including men, would have been completely revolutionary. They would not have understood men to submit to anybody. So why does he then repeat the idea to the wives who already submit? What Paul does is he changes the why and the how wives are to submit. In the past, wives submitted because the men had all the power, and Paul says, submit as you would to the Lord. Why do we submit to Jesus? Is it because he is has all the authority and he's the boss and he has all the power? Is that why you submit to Jesus? Or is it because he loves us so much that he forgives us and he heals us and he protects us and he walks with us? And so our response to that love is submission, right? Are you with me? And Paul says, wives, this is how you are to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because they love you and they serve you. Now you may be thinking, yeah, but my husband does not treat me like Jesus. <laughs> Husbands are next. <laughs> Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I've known some people who read this verse and they think, oh, this is, this is just the husband needs to be the bodyguard, right? You know what? Jesus died for the church. I'd die for my wife. I'd step in front of a bullet for my wife. I can be Jesus, right? And, and, and maybe that's part of it. Although, as Pastor Doug has said many times, the gift of martyrdom is a gift you only get to use once, right? <laughs> so I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. Jesus did die for us, but he also lived for us. And if we look at his life, we see him continually submitting to the needs of those around him. This is how he lived. At one point, Jesus kneels at his disciples' feet and he begins to wash their dirty feet. And Peter's like, Lord, what are you doing? This is the lowliest task reserved only for servants. And Jesus says, I came to serve. The king of kings came to serve. 
And he says crazy things like, if you wanna be great in the kingdom, you will serve others. That's not how you become great in the kingdom. You get, become great in the kingdom by defeating others, right? This is totally opposite. And whoever wants to be first will be last. Jesus was constantly turning the way the world worked on its head. And Paul says to the husbands, in the past, the world said you had all the authority and all the power, and you acted like it. Now I am telling you to act like Jesus, who really did have all the power and authority, and he used that power and authority to serve others. And this is how you are to act towards your wife. Greg Boyd has a helpful way of thinking about this. See, way back in the Garden of Eden, when humanity first sins, um, you guys know the story, right? Humanity first sins, and um, their relationship with God is severed. And in Genesis 3, we begin living under what is known as the curse. Now, the curse is not, um, it's not an imperative from God saying, this is how I'm making it because of your sin. It's declarative, meaning God is saying, this is how it's going to be because of your sin, even though that's not how I want it to be, okay? So this isn't God like handing down the judgment saying, I've decided this because of your sin. It's him saying, because of your sin, this is how the world will be now. And it's declarative. So in Genesis 3.16, God says to the woman, because of sin, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now look at the last sentence on this verse. If you could leave that up for just a second. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In the Hebrew, this word for desire can actually be interpreted control. In fact, let's look at how the NET translation translates this verse. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. So in the curse, for living in the curse, the way marriage works is the husband dominates the wife, and then the wife says, I'm gonna try to control the husband and get on him. And then he says, no, I'm stronger than you. And she says, but I'm smarter than you. And he says, yeah, but... Uh, I'm bigger than you. I don't know. <laughs> and it just goes back and forth, right? And it's this struggle of power to the top, right? It's a race to the top. And it's this struggle for control. The wife will try to control the husband and he will die to dominate her. It's not the way it's supposed to be, right? It's because of the curse. Some of you know exactly what this looks like. But the good news is Jesus came to deliver us from the curse. And when Jesus comes, he inaugurates the kingdom of God, right? The kingdom and the kingdom way of living. And so in the kingdom, this is what a relationship looks like. The husband says, because I love you, I submit to you. And the wife says, thank goodness, I've been waiting on you to do that forever. Now I get to make all the decisions. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and the wife says, thank you, I submit to you. And the husband says, because you've submitted to me so much, I'm going to submit to you. And she says, no, you've been so loving and kind to me. I'm going to submit to you. And it just goes back and forth like this, right? And it's a race to the bottom instead of a race to the top. While marriages afflicted by the fall are characterized by the husband and wife fighting to rule, marriages in Christ are characterized by the husband and the wife coming under one another in loving service. This is what it looks like. But what about that, the husband is the head of the wife part, right? I'm glad you asked. 
In theology, there are two schools of thought on this. And actually, we have both schools of thought represented at this church. The first school of thought says that Paul is talking to a first century audience where men were considered to be the head and women were seen as second class, even property. But because we have come through the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution, revolution, (laughs) we no longer see women as second class. We don't see men as superior to women. And so that part of the verse is not as relevant to us today as it was to them in the first century. That's one school. The second school of thought says God's scripture is timeless. And not only that, but it says husbands are the head like Christ is the head of the church. And since Christ is still the head of the church, then husbands are still the head of the family. So those are the two camps. But here's the thing. Even if you're, no matter which camp you're in, even if you're in the camp where you believe that the husband is still the head, here's what Paul is saying. Congratulations, husband. You are in charge of submitting first, right? You get to lead in showing how to submit. You're in charge of the department of serving others. You get to be the head of forgiving others. Right? And if you're in the other camp, you take turns, right? <laughs> maybe she leads this time, maybe he leads this time. Either way, it's the same thing. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. In the end, it's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because that is how Jesus lived. That's what Jesus was like. Is that a good word for today? Okay, that's sermon one. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't too long, was it? The second one will be even shorter. There's one more idea in these verses that I want to focus on. Um, We're going to look at verse 31 through 33. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. So if you leave that verse up for just a second, if you notice at the end of it, it says, the husband must love his wife and the wife must respect her husband. If only someone were to write a book, they could title it Love and Respect, <laughs> right? No, but the, the part I wanna actually focus on is the first part of verse 31 there. Um, if we could put that up one more time. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That portion of the verse is a direct quote from Genesis 2 where God is outlining this is what marriage is like, right? Um, This is God's first outline for marriage. For those of you who are football fans, this verse is a great end around. For those of you who don't watch football, an end round is where a team acts like they're gonna go one direction, but then the running back actually goes in a different direction. We think Paul is going this way, but then he completely reverses direction. So when two people get married, they leave their father and mother, hopefully, and they stand at at the altar, right? (laughs) And they say their vows, which usually are some way of saying, I give all of myself to you, right? Physically, emotionally, mentally. And from now on, our journey will be together. And Paul says, Two people giving all of themselves to each other and becoming one is a profound mystery. But, says Paul, I am talking about Christ in the church. Or let me rephrase it. Two becoming one is a profound mystery, except I am talking about Christ and you. 
Now, wait a minute. I thought Paul was talking about the covenant of marriage and then all of a sudden he changes course and he's talking about our relationship with Christ. What does he mean here? When a couple gets married, they enter into a covenant. A covenant is a commitment between two parties that is binding. In the Old Testament, when you entered into a covenant, you would cut animals in half and you would lay the halves apart from each other and in the middle there would be a blood trail and you would walk the blood path with the person that you're making the covenant with. And the idea was this, I commit to you that I will keep my word and if I break my end of the covenant, may I end up like these animals that are cut in half. It was serious, right? I haven't been to too many weddings where they chose to do this. I wanted to at least have a bird cut in half at my wedding, but my wife wasn't too fond of that idea. And so I submitted. <laughs> Sorry, that's a terrible joke. <laughs> okay, here's the other thing about covenants, right? There was always a symbol that represented the covenant. So think of Noah. When God makes the covenant with Noah, what's the symbol? The rainbow, that's right. When we get married, there's a symbol that shows people that we're now in this covenant. What is the symbol? Yes, the wedding ring, that's right. And when God made his covenant with Abraham, the symbol was circumcision, right? He adopted these people as his own, and the symbol that represented that these were his people, part of his family now, was circumcision. Let's go back a couple of chapters in Ephesians and look at what Paul has to say about this covenant, specifically this covenant of circumcision. Ephesians 2, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship from Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once excluded from the covenant. Unless you were born as part of Abraham's family and had that DNA, you were excluded as part of the covenant. But because of Jesus, we've been invited into that covenant. And his blood is, is our entrance into that covenant. When we were celebrating communion today, Doug quoted Jesus when he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which I give to you, right? In fact, communion could be seen as the symbol that we use to remember, right? His invitation into this covenant. We now have access to this covenant because of the blood of Jesus. Do you think of your relationship with God as a covenant? Have you thought about that? A husband and a wife stand at the altar and they give all of themselves to each other. And God says, this is what I want with you for you to give all of yourself to me and I'll give all of myself to you. The word we use for this is salvation. Salvation can also mean rescue. But too often we characterize salvation as getting my sins forgiven so that I can go to heaven one day. And getting sins forgiven is a piece of it, but it's only a piece of it. Jesus does want to rescue us from our sins, but he also wants to rescue us from every other area the curse is affected. And he wants to rescue us into living for the kingdom. 
So we submit to God. It looks like this. We submit to God, and then God submits to us, and we submit to God, and God's... Is it a weird thought to think of God submitting to us? It is, isn't it? Here's the thing. Jesus was the perfect representation of God the Father, right? And Jesus submitted to everybody. He submitted even to the point of death, right? And so if Jesus is the best picture of who we have that God is, then God submits. God wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to be in a covenant relationship with you. Let me use a couple of examples to demonstrate how a relationship with God is like a marriage covenant. And I use marriage not only because Paul uses it, but because it's the only covenant we really have left in our culture. So it's the one that I can use to describe this because we're all familiar with that. Imagine that a husband and a wife have a wedding. They say their vows to each other. They kiss. And after the wedding, the husband says, oh, by the way, I said the words and I meant them, but I'm only gonna be married to you for three hours a week. So I'll see you for three hours each week and the rest of the time, I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. Would that work out very well? <laughs> I shouldn't ask that, some of you. <laughs> but that's not a marriage, right? Follow me here. I know people who have said, I said the prayer, I said all the words, I'm going to heaven, and I go to church three hours a week, and the rest of the time, I'm gonna live however I want. Do you see the problem here? This is not a covenant relationship with God. Just like the husband has to prove that he wants to be married and not just say the words. He has to prove it by living with his wife, right? The Lord wants us to prove that we want to be in a covenant relationship with him by living it out. Or how about this one? I've had friends say to me, I'm not sure whether I'm saved or not. I think I am, but I'm not sure. And maybe you've been in, this, been in this situation. But let me ask you this. Have you ever thought, I'm not sure whether I'm married or not. I think I am. Am I? Right? Like, this is ridiculous, I know, but, right? I would argue you know whether you're in a covenant relationship with God or not. Now, I have thought, uh, Anna, are we still members at Sam's Club or did that expire, right? <laughs> it could, I think it expired, right? Like, and, and, and if you think salvation is membership in a club, then, then the question, are we still members or not, makes sense, right? I think I'm a member, but am I? Maybe it expired. Maybe there's something else I need to do to like renew the membership, right? It's a valid question. But if it's a covenant, it's not a valid question. You don't have to wonder, am I married or am I not married? And I would argue that it's, instead of treating salvation like a member in a club, we should treat it like a covenant of marriage. One last example. Just like a wedding is not the actual marriage, a wedding marks the beginning of the marriage, but the marriage is made in living the rest of your lives together and submitting to one another, right? The same is true with confessing our sins. It's like the wedding. It, makes the, it, it marks the beginning, but we can't stop there. God wants us to know us completely, and he wants us to know him completely. In our tradition, um, we have a thing called the altar call, right? And it's interesting that when a couple gets married, they stand at the altar and give, themselves, give each other all of themselves, right? 
And in our tradition, somebody comes to the altar and they confess their sins, but it's meant to be more than that. It's also giving all of myself to God. It's saying, God, I want you to be in this covenant relationship with me, and I want all of you, and so I give you all of me, right? And we kneel at the altar in submission, saying, I submit to you, God. I want to live this kingdom life. So the same is true for the wedding as is true as the altar, right? Like, maybe it's the beginning, but it doesn't make the whole thing. Like, if you came to an altar and had an experience, that's wonderful, but it it continues after that, right? Right? It's not just saying these words and then living however I want. It's also saying, you know what? I give my life to you and now I'm gonna live it out and prove that I've given my life to you. God wants to know us completely and he wants us to know him completely. In the Nazarene tradition, we call this sanctification. It's saying, God, I want all of you and because I want all of you, I give you all of me. That's what sanctification is. So as Jill comes, I'm gonna ask these two questions and then read the Paul verse one more time. Jill's gonna close us tonight. Have you given all of yourself to God is my first question. Have you given all of yourself to God? Maybe you had an experience and you didn't know that this was what was needed, right? Or you didn't understand it. So the first question is, ask yourself this question. Have I given all of myself to God? And the second question is, do you view your relationship with God like a covenant? Listen to this verse one more time. For this reason, a man and woman leave their mother and father and unite, and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm actually talking about your relationship with the Lord. You need that? Thank you, Justin. Um, As I uh, was sitting down front, I was reminded um, of a time here a while back that we were praying as staff and we were just to break off and, and pray on our own, spend some time in prayer. And I was sitting right over there in that against that wall over there. And I was just, you know, down, you know how you do, you just, um, when you don't know what to say in prayer, sometimes you just confess your love. And um, I was just telling God how much I love him. And he said, is this just saying that you love me enough? And um, I was like, well, no. And um, he said, it's through your actions and your words. It's through your lifestyle. That's what I need from you. And um, I connected the dots sitting down here. It was that moment that I realized it was a covenant. It was marriage to him. And... um, Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've realized that, um, wow, I've said the prayer and I've, I've done everything. You know, I've checked the boxes and I've never thought of it as a covenant, as a marriage. Um, and that's okay. That's okay if that's you today. Um, he, uh, Justin said some really interesting things. Um, Jesus is the only one that can complete us. So would you guys just stand with me for a moment um, as we close today? I just want to give you the opportunity. Um, Maybe you have never connected those dots until today. And um, 
you know, the altar is not this magical place, but it's a place where we can come and surrender and submit. And um, if that feels like, if that's you today and you feel like, I need to just, I need to do that this morning, come on down. This is the time that you can come and do that. And um, why don't we just close our eyes? And that way there's no one looking around. There's no one um, feeling like they're being judged for maybe what be, might be happening. The rest of you, if you just hold your hands out, turn your palms up to the Lord. Lord, we just, um, we thank you that you ask of us to give ourselves to you because you give all of yourself to us. You are amazing in that way. You are amazing. We can't understand it sometimes. There's just things about you we don't understand. But God, we ask that um, today you would help us to be brave enough to come down here and surrender. Be brave enough to stand where we're at and tell you that I was I misunderstood this this relationship with you. God, we are sorry. Forgive us for making it something that it wasn't. Right now is your time to spend with him. Talk to him and share what you want to share with him right now. It has been a great morning to be with you this morning. As you go this week, would you remember that you are loved and that you are cared for deeply? And with that, you are dismissed. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.